everyone. My name is Bill. Uh, I volunteer here at Mosaic. Um, so what were some of you guys' favorite things about fall? Just shout them out. What were some? Cold weather. Who's excited about cold weather? Wow, nice, nice. What else? I heard a whole bunch of stuff. What? Leaves. Leaves changing for sure. I heard something over here. Did someone say yoga? Yoga pants. Why can't you wear that any other time of the year? Okay. Fall thing. Yoga pants. Who knew? What else? Pumpkin spice. Definitely. Anything? Football. Of course. Of course. No baseball fans in the house? Very few. Very few. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I love the fall. Fall is one of my favorite seasons of the year. In the past five years, I've lived in Southern California, and it's one season, a.k.a. purgatory. It's just awful. It's just absolutely terrible. It's just so dry and so mundane. And as I was just driving around this week and just being able to see the leaves change and experience the, the smells of people burning fire in their fireplaces, I just got so excited because Southern California isn't all it's cracked up to be. It's really funny because... I'll go in the store, and I'll have to show my ID, and they're like, California? What are you doing in Nebraska? Because that's how you guys talk. I'm like, what are you doing in Nebraska? They usually don't like that response. But um, seriously, though, Southern California, it's, it's not really all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah, you know, you got the beach, perpetual summer, palm trees, the sand, the water, some of the best places to eat in the world, blah, 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 whatever. But I'm just so excited about fall. I just love fall. And to me, like, the best way to describe L.A., it's like if you had to eat filet mignon for every single meal. It sounds amazing, but in reality, that would be terrible. It really would. So it's like I make the most amazing homemade fettuccine alfredo. It is glorious. If you ever want to eat a heart attack on a plate, invite yourself over. I promise I'll make you fettuccine alfredo. It's the most amazing thing, and I love cooking it and smelling the garlic and the butter and the cream and just mixing them together and eating it with some nice grilled chicken. It's just absolutely glorious. And then the next day, bonus leftovers because I make so much of it. And then by the third day, I open the fridge and I'm like, man, I should probably eat the fettuccine alfredo so it doesn't go bad. Then by the fourth day, I open the fridge and I smell the garlic and it's just like gag reflexes like, oh, oh, get out of here. It's just terrible. It tastes the same, but for some reason, I'm just so sick of it. And L.A.'s a lot like fettuccine Alfredo. You live there for a couple years, and it's awesome, and then you just want to throw up. (laughs) But I do love, I I love California, I really do. Um, But I think just having four four seasons again just sounds so amazing. And just being able to drive around and see the leaves change, uh, drink pumpkin spice lattes, Carved pumpkins uh, when it's cold outside just sounds so awesome. It reminds me of my childhood, reminds me of home. But it's so funny because even this week, I'm having these amazing memories. Life is so good, and it's so glorious. And then all of a sudden, it's like my body just won't let me be happy, and like all these negative thoughts just like come into my mind. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, it's stupid stuff. It's like, uh, that joke you told was terrible, or that encounter you had with a stranger was really awkward. And it's just like, it's weird stuff. But at the same time, like, all of a sudden, like, it'll be, like, fears or past regrets or even it gets, like, more serious. Like, my brain tells me, you know what? You're a bad older brother growing up, and because of that, you're going to be a bad father. It's like, man, that hurts. Uh, 
And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, it's all these, like, doubts and these fears just start coming at me when I'm just trying to be happy. Does that have, happen to anyone? Am I alone in that? Um, and why is that? Why, why can we not let ourselves just be happy sometimes? Um, it's kind of like cute aggression. Has anyone ever heard of cute aggression? So this is a real thing. Uh, let me describe it to you this way. So it's like when I'm holding my son, Manny. If you guys have met Manny, he's the cutest baby you've ever seen in your entire life. And people come up to him, and they're like, oh, he's so cute, I just want to eat him. It's like, did you just say you want to eat my baby? Because that's weird. Uh, and then Megan said one time, she's holding Manny, and she goes, oh, Manny, you're so cute, I just want to throw you down the stairs. I'm like, man, I want to throw you down the stairs. But what is it? It's like, but it's this real thing where they did this study, and they would show people cute pictures, and they give them a teddy bear, and they judged by how cute the picture was, and they found that the cuter the picture, the more they squeezed the teddy bear. So if it was like a puppy doing a backflip, people just like went crazy and ripped the bear's head off because it was too cute. <laughs> and it's just like, if for some reason our body has these weird triggers that just don't let us be happy sometimes. And I just found that this week, and I realized like, we're so broken. We have so much pain. And all of us, we, we desire so much to be healed. And we're having this conversation, people with a second chance, and we want to be healed. But we find that we just are so broken and we're so full of pain. So the conversation I want to have with you today is, how do we go from a journey from pain to being healed? Whoa, it got real quiet there all of a sudden. Um, and I've been thinking about this in just my pain, and I realized sometimes I'm in love with my pain. I don't want to let it go because I'm in love with it. And I find that uh, pain is like scars sometimes. Uh, scars are bragging rights. It's like, man, I cut my arm open and I had to get 37 stitches. Yeah, awesome. Oh, I got my leg chopped off and they had to reattach it. Check that out. What? That's sweet. And I just find, like, when I was growing up, uh, I, had these, I had this awesome scar. It was the best. So I was four years old. I was chasing my older sister to beat her up, and I slipped and fell, and I hit my head on some steps, cracked my head open, 10 stitches. It was cool. I was four. I had a nasty scar. Then when I was nine, I got pushed into a soccer goal post playing flag football, ironically enough. 30 stitches, vertical. No joke, growing up, I had an L on my forehead. <laughs> I was a loser. But you couldn't make fun of me because I had this nice, nasty scar. And one of the things that, one of the most depressing things about growing up is my scar faded. It healed, but I didn't really want it to. And I feel like the first step to go from a place of pain to healing is we got to end our love affair with pain. We got to end it. Our culture, we glorify pain. Um, I was reading an article this week, and... Um, Jay-Z was talking about how he had to sell crack before he made it big to get by. And I read this, another article, um, and Chris Brown said he lost his virginity when he was eight years old. And he's bragging about it. It's not a source of pain, it's a source of bragging. And what I want to, the way I want to approach the conversation today to move us from a place of pain to healing, it's a counterintuitive approach. Not something that we would think. Because in reality, we need to recognize the things that we're doing to try to heal our pain isn't working. Because the things that we do to try to heal our pain are things like self-isolation. You know, we just need to be alone. I just need to be absolutely by myself right now. Or we self-medicate. Whether that's drugs, alcohol, prescription, 
sex, violence, pornography, we medicate ourselves. Or we even self-endure. You know, we push through. We made it through our pain. We made it. We made it to the other side. But the thing about this constant, uh, the way that we go about trying to heal our pain is it's all about self. Every single thing, it's self, self, self. So the counterintuitive approach that I want to present today is moving from a place of self-focus to self-sacrifice. We've been going through the book of Galatians, and um, in Galatians chapter 3, I want to read this scripture to you guys. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Uh, You don't have to go there, I'll just read it. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I just love that imagery. For all you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I, as I began to think of this journey from self-focus to self-sacrifice, um, I believe Jesus talks about this a lot. And so if you guys are with me, if you guys are game, if you have uh, the scriptures or a phone or something, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Mark. Are you guys down? Are you guys with me? Awesome. Excited. Yeah. Um, so the thing about uh, the teachings of Jesus that I've continually found is that um, there's this story about when Jesus was a teenager and he was teaching in the temple, and it says that all the people were amazed at his wisdom and his understanding. And this is before anyone called Jesus Lord. This is before Jesus performed any miracle. And the teachings of Jesus gave wisdom. They gave life, even before anyone called him Lord of their life. So even if you're here today and you're a skeptic, um, I believe that the things that Jesus pre- presents to us today about moving from self-focus to self-sacrifice um, is, is applicable to anyone, even if Jesus isn't Lord of your life yet. So turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Uh, we're going to read a couple stories out of here. Uh, the first one starts in verse 17. Um, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell to his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the question of all questions. This is, this, this is it, really. This is Jesus' opportunity to say exactly what you need to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus kind of answers a funny response. He goes, why do you call me good? And it's really interesting because I always wondered, like, why does Jesus say this? Because then he goes on to say, no one is good except God alone. Because if I understand the scriptures correctly, Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. So Jesus, if anyone, should describe himself as good here. And he says... Why do you call me good? And I believe the answer comes a little bit uh, in the next paragraph. He begins to say, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declares, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. No way. Are you kidding me? Like this guy has zero self-awareness here. Because I think of one thing that we've begun to realize is that none of us are perfect. And Jesus is basically laying out all these things, and he's like, yep, I've never lied. I've always obeyed my mom and dad. I've kept all your commandments. And I believe what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to get this guy at square one because he has no idea. He's just like, yeah, I'm good, good to go. And Jesus is like, no, 
You are broken. You don't even realize how broken you are, but you're so broken. And that's why I love what Jesus begins to say next. He, he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I'm sure he chuckled a little bit in his head. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. I don't believe Jesus is saying the way to inter- eternal life is for every single one of us in the room to sell every single one of our possessions. But I believe what he's trying to communicate is we are all broken. That's the starting place. You are broken. You are not going to inherit eternal life by following a whole bunch of rules and laws and commandments. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. I love that because what, it's tra- what Jesus is trying to communicate to us here is this idea that we're so self-centered and we don't even realize it sometimes. This guy is so consumed with himself, so consumed with his eternal life, and Jesus is just trying to get him to say, look, you're broken. You're broken. And the problem is, is when we end our love affair with pain, what's going to happen is it's going to leave this emptiness. And when we give up our self-focus, when we give up our pain, and we have that emptiness, we're not going to have anything that we can hold against people anymore. We're not going to have anything that we can hold against ourselves anymore. And it's going to leave a hole. And sometimes it feels better to feel miserable than to feel nothing at all. And I believe Jesus gives us an answer for how to, how to give up our self-focus, how to give up our pain, and fill it with something that doesn't leave us empty, and fills us with something that brings life, that brings eternal life. So a little bit, um, a little bit later on in Mark chapter 10, there's another story where Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, this starts in verse 35. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What a stupid question. Seriously, they're basically going to Jesus and say, hey, we want you to do anything we tell you to do. Like, what is Jesus supposed to say there? Sure. I I really think that, uh, you know, like teachers growing up, they always said, there's no such thing as a stupid question. I'm pretty sure James and John came up with that saying because they felt so dumb for asking this question. And so Jesus, loving and gracious, says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Then they replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I'm, I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that, the, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials, exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man, for even God, came to serve and not be served. Because what he says is, even the rulers over the Gentiles, 
They just want to lord it over people. They want to get to the place of the highest honor so that they could, they could just be ruler. They could be king. Because it's all about them. It's all about their, it's all about them attaining to that certain level. And Jesus is saying you have it all backwards. It's not about getting to that place of leadership. It's not about getting that place of highest honor. It's about going to the place of becoming a servant. For even God himself came to this earth and chose to serve us and not be served. I think, um, I saw this uh, documentary this week um, called Serving Life. Um, It's on Netflix. I would highly recommend it. But um, in this documentary, it's basically about these prison inmates who are serving life sentences, and they, uh, they volunteer for a hospice program where they partner with a prison uh, hospital to help these men who have terminal illnesses, cancer and tumors, uh, they're on their last few days, and just to be their friend the last few days of their life, to help clean them and shave and just be next to them. And it's interesting because the warden, he had this quote about it, and he goes, you know, I can teach prisoners a trade, but it's just going to make them better criminals when they get outside. But if I can get them to teach it, if I can get them to care about the sick and the dying, it'll make them human again. And even the prisoner said, you know, if I would have done out there what I'm doing in here, I would have never did what I did out there to get myself here in the first place. And this journey from self-focus to self-sacrifice is paved in serving, paved in serving others. Um, I began thinking about just like serving, uh, and I was trying to think of some good visual imagery for serving and what that's like, moving ourselves from self-focus to self-sacrifice. The best thing I could come up with is serving is like syrup of Ipecac for your soul. Does anyone know what syrup of Ipecac is? Few people do. Few people do. Nice. If you don't know what it is, just Google Family Guy syrup of Ipecac, and you will either laugh your head off or you'll never come back again because you're so offended. Um, but if you are offended, you can send an email to me personally. My email is Aaron at mosaiclincoln.com. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron, I had to steal your joke. Or is it Brian? What is the one again? But seriously, syrup of Ipecac, it's, bas- it's basically, if you ingest poison on accident, I don't know how you would ingest poison on accident, but if you ingest poison on accident, like you eat, you know, a box of rat poison, you can take syrup of Ipecac, and it purges the poison from your body. And when you think about how, uh, when we, we are so self-centered, we are so broken, serving purges all the self-focus from us. All the self-isolation, self-endurance, self-medication. And you know what? It hurts. No one likes throwing up. Does anyone actually like throwing up? Any weirdos out there? No one likes it. It's hur- it hurts. It's painful. It's awful. Um, when Aaron and I, we, uh, we moved out to Southern California five years ago to be part of a, pro- a master's program, and we were promised to learn from some of the best leaders in the world, the best communicators, the best vision casters, at one of the most creative, influential churches in the world. So we get there, we're all pumped up, like, yeah, like, we want to do big things. We want to do big things for God. Like, we believe in it. Let's do it. Let's, let's go. And we get there, and the first thing they do is hand us a mop bucket. And they say, there's a nightclub there. They had club last night. It hasn't been cleaned. We need to clean it for church tonight. So you guys get to go to the bathroom and clean up everyone's bodily fluids from the night before. And it was awful. It was terrible. It hurts. Because at the end of the day, it's like, Aaron is a talented guy. You know, like, can't anyone clean a bathroom? Like, why does Aaron have to do it? 
Aaron should be teaching and leading and vision casting, and yet they taught us to become a servant, to, to lead through serving. And for two years, we did that. He stacked chairs, cleaned toilets, mopped floors, helped with whatever he could. And the thing that I love is seeing the end result of that, which is three years ago, he comes back to Lincoln and plants this amazing community. And the thing that I've seen overwhelmingly is today, like showing up at 7 a.m. and there's like 40 volunteers who are waking up early on a Sunday who are working full-time jobs, week in and week out, and yet they choose not to sleep in but to show up early and to set all this up, to set up out there, to make coffee, to look after your kids and teach your kids. And this is just a tribe of generosity, a tribe of servants, because that servant culture is just ingrained in this community because of what was ingrained in us um, during our two years there. I have this friend Franco in Los Angeles, um, one of the most talented filmmakers I know. And Franco, he was like cooler than cool. So in LA, the one thing I realized is anyone who called themselves a filmmaker had to create like this like false persona about themselves. It was the weirdest thing. It's like people are so strange. So Franco, his whole thing was he didn't tell anyone how old he was. And that's not like, you know, like if, if I didn't tell anyone how old I was, it'd be easy. It'd be like, oh, you're about 30. But Franco, he was like, he's a really good looking guy. He didn't have many wrinkles, but he had like a head of gray hair. And he was really well dressed. And sometimes he talked like he was young. Sometimes he, he, this man could have either been like 30 or 60. I have no idea. Still to this day, no idea. He just didn't tell anyone. But one day I noticed like this change in Franco and he started showing up early. And I was like, Franco, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just helping some people out on the production team. Cool. And then he showed up the next week. And then all of a sudden, Franco started uh, volunteering to create films for free. And then all of a sudden, Franco came up to me, and he's like, hey, remember when we used to do the film meetings back in the day? Like, let's revitalize the film community at Mosaic. So then he revitalizes his film community, and so many people are coming, and so many people are finding life, finding grace, finding Jesus. People, Franco's mentoring people. People are serving with them. And I noticed this change in Franco. And I said, Franco, what happened? What was the thing that clicked? And he said, you know, just one year I decided this is my my year of saying yes. Maybe he was inspired by the movie Yes Man. I don't know. But he said, this is my year of saying yes. And I just never stopped. And the thing that I noticed is the journey from self-focus to self-sacrifice, when we're on this journey from pain to being healed, is without really even knowing it sometimes, we become healer because we have Jesus with us. And we just find that as we serve and as we sacrifice, we begin to clothe ourselves in Christ. We begin to, in a way, wear the skin of Jesus and posture ourselves in the same posture that he had, which is, I have not come to be served, but I've come to serve. Because if we're going to be honest, the world around us is hurting and it's broken and it needs healing. And the things that we're doing is not working. We need to try something new. We need to try something different, something counterintuitive. Because when when I think about the life of Jesus and I think about the reason why he came, at the end of the day, it's to make us human again. And I think about the documentary that I saw. And what are the things in life that make us human, that make other people human? How can we move ourselves from self-focus to self-sacrifice? The creative team have uh, created a video for us. Um, wanted to share with you Nick Pinnegar's story. I've uh, been filming it over the past couple weeks. Uh, pe- some people worked really hard to edit it and put it together for us this morning. So uh, I want to watch that together. 
Can we give Nick a hand? Thank you for sharing your story, Nick. You are dust of dust. You are the apple of God's eye. You are as infinite as the universe. And don't get me wrong, Nick did not earn God's love. Nick found God when he was on his deathbed, and God came into his life, and Nick became so captivated by God's grace that the posture is you just can't help but serve. You can't help but worship because God loves us so much. And what we realize is we are so broken. We are so broken. And we realize that the world around us is so broken. And when it clicks, and we realize how, how much Jesus just wants to invade our lives so that we can heal a broken world and clothe ourselves in him, I just wonder, what would that look like? Because God loves using broken people. We are mosaic. We are a bunch of broken people that come together, and when God's light shines through us, we become a beautiful mosaic. So I feel like our only response to that should be to stand and to worship this creator.